afternoon, everyone. We'll look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. Matthew 16, 13 through 28. Uh, I will build my church. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some said, say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was a Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can uh, freely come to worship and uh, study and hear the word of God. We pray that you would speak to us and encourage our hearts and help us to be the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, um, that you're calling us to be, that you've instituted in this world for the purpose of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us and uh, strengthen your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today's sermon, based on this text, not necessarily going to go through every verse and go through it in a expositional way, but we just want to draw uh, some highlights and principles out of this passage, thinking about uh, God's church, I'll build my church, um, as Jesus says, I'll build my church, and so we want to think about that. Um, so we'll look at this text, thinking about the church, because as many of us are fully aware, uh, the church uh, is going through a very unusual time right now, along with the rest of the world, because of this pandemic, right? So, um, because of the circumstances right now, we can definitely feel very lost, we can feel disoriented, 
church doesn't look the way that it always has, and it's uh, unusual to us. A big part of church is community. We're lacking community. A big part of it is uh, fellowship, accountability, being able to uh, draw strength from one another as we worship together. But here we are, spaced out, even in this room, with masks on. <laughs> I don't know like how you feel about worshiping with your masks on. Um, it's, uh, it's unusual. It's just disorienting. Um, this is one of the two passages in the Gospels where Jesus mentions the word church. And um, so, so we want to think about this. And uh, I think it would be helpful for us to think about what the church is, according to Jesus, and what it says about, um, what he says about the church that will help us to have hope during these unusual times. So we want to think about that. First, the vision, the vision for the church. Again, verse 18 says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's where he uses the word church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The word church literally means called out. Called out. And sometimes that word is used generally to mean a gathering of citizens, just a general term used in the Bible, a gathering of people, citizens of a community called out of their homes to a public assembly. So in that sense, the church is a gathering of people called out in a sense, called out of sin, called out of darkness, and assembled to worship God. We know that Jesus often preached about the kingdom of God, right? Through the, through the Gospels, that's very clear. Jesus talked often about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He came to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And many of his teachings through the parables and different things were about the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is like, how to enter, enter the kingdom of God and so on. But here he talks about the church. So what's the connection? What's the connection between the kingdom of God that Jesus came for and the church? Because they're not synonymous. Um, in these verses here, 18, 19, he says, I will build my church and I will give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So it's not the same thing. I will build my church and it will be through the church that, that will have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So he, as he's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, this is how to enter the kingdom of God, somehow the church is instrumental in that, in that plan. So what that means is that it will be the church that will be used by God to open up the kingdom of heaven. How can people enter the kingdom of heaven? The answer to that is found in the church. Jesus gives a, a little more detail in, in, in what he means by that, how that's going to work. Right? In verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. We know that when a sinner 
truly trusts in the saving work of Jesus Christ, then by faith he can enter the kingdom of heaven. That's how salvation works. There's no other way. So the key, the key that unlocks the door to the kingdom of heaven is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel has been entrusted to the church. So Jesus speaks here of the the, the place of authority that the church has in this world. When the church preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ accurately, correctly, properly, then hearts that are bound on earth will be made loose. And what happens here on earth through the church preaching the gospel will be appropriately recorded in heaven. And that's how the church and the kingdom of heaven are related. The church has the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has entrusted the gospel of Jesus Christ to his church. And as the church proclaims that gospel, people can enter the kingdom of God. This is God's vision for the church of Jesus Christ. The church is given the keys to the kingdom of heaven and there is no other institution, no other institution on earth with this kind of importance because there is no other, there's no other key to the kingdom of heaven other than the gospel. The church is the means through which God works out his redemption story in this world throughout history. I was thinking of it in this way. When you watch a Star Wars movie, the plot pattern is generally the same. Right? You watch uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, generally the same. So for example, Ray is doing some stuff either with Luke or Kylo Ren or something, something like that. She's doing something stuff somewhere, fighting the bad guy somewhere in the galaxy. That's what Ray's doing. And then we have Chewie and, and Finn somewhere in the enemy ship, right? Trying to do stuff to take down the, uh, the, their shield or something like that, their defense shield. And then you have Poe and the rebel fighters somewhere else and they're planning an attack, an air attack. And in the last half hour of the movie, all those separate strategies come together and work together to blow up the bad guys, the bad ship, which is always round. So, so, um, what each of those characters are doing throughout the movie are equally important in bringing salvation to the universe or to bring salvation to the rebel alliance getting no response from the congregation because there are not only a few people here, but there are obviously no Star Wars fans in the sanctuary today. Anyway, all those characters, they're working together, coming together, and they all equally work together to bring salvation, right? Now, if you think about that, that plot, of course, there's an aspect in which, uh, if you kind of draw that and think about what God's doing. Of course, there's an aspect in which God is doing a million things at the same time, 
right, to bring salvation to the world. But that's not how it works in terms of the institutions that God has chosen to use in the world. So, in other words, God did not give one key to the church for salvation and then another key to the government and another key to the, the, the top economists in the world and another key to science and medicine and another key to education uh, and so on. So that all of those things together uh, can find different ways to, to, to further mankind and to bring salvation to mankind. That's not how it works. God only has one plan for salvation, and that's through the church of Jesus Christ. That's why people who try to unlock the door of salvation through material wealth or anything else in this world will find themselves facing basically a brick wall at the end of their lives. And this is also why the poorest nation in the world can simultaneously be be flourishing with the gospel because salvation has nothing to do with material wealth. This is also why uh, a government can be implementing laws that are so opposed to the word of God, right? The, the leaders of government can be so against the Bible and so against Christianity. Educators in a society can be teaching things in, in schools and in universities that completely contradict the word of God. All of those things could be happening, but the kingdom of God will continue to expand because God will use his church. Now, of course, that does not mean that every Christian now then should drop everything that they're doing and just do church work. Of course, we're not saying that because how we work, why we work matters in terms of displaying the glory of God in this fallen world. And, uh, you know, this is one of those points where you can have a lot of discussion and through our discussions, we can really be enriched together as a body, as many people are in different spheres of work in their lives which are important. They can serve God through that and bring glory to God. I think it does mean that, for example, a Christian engineer, even as he works, still labors in some way to advance the gospel. Because it's the church of Jesus Christ that has been entrusted with the key to the kingdom of heaven. That's God's vision for the church. Secondly, the opposition to the church. Again, out of verse 18, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as God works to open the door to the kingdom of heaven through the church, there will always be opposition to the church. It's interesting here that Jesus didn't just say um, that uh, hell shall not prevail against it, or Satan will not prevail against it. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the gates of a city that was a town's meeting place. For example, it was at the gate where, where Boaz negotiated to redeem Ruth. 
So it's where officials meet to plan and strategize. In other words, Satan is always strategizing to oppose the church of Jesus Christ, the gates of hell. Among his many strategies, he has used persecution, right, trying to kill Christians to silence or unbelief. He's used deception, and we see that in the Bible, sending many false teachers to, to undermine the apostles' teachings. He's used division, and maybe an example of that is the disagreement between the Hellenists and Hebrews in Acts chapter 6. Division, because if you can't break the church apart from the outside, try to break it apart from the inside. So whatever, different strategies. Satan is always at work trying to oppose the church of Jesus Christ. Um, we also see this, an example of this, in verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus, he says, he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed. And to that, Peter says, no, never. Right? This shall never happen to you. I'll make sure this won't happen to you. Now, Peter's thinking he's doing a good thing, right? He's, he's, he's thinking he's supporting Jesus. But he's actually opposing Jesus because he does not have the mind of God. Jesus has to go to the cross. He has to suffer and die because that's God's way. But Peter's thinking of man's way. Man's way, which does not equate to God's way, and God's way is much higher than man's way. And man's way never involves suffering and death. Now, in this intera interaction, what's really interesting is that Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. He does not say, Get behind me, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. In other words, this was one of the strategies of the gates of hell. To oppose the, to oppose the advancement of the gospel, to oppose the, the building of the church of Jesus Christ. So what this means is that Satan can actually even use Christians who do not have the mind of God. That when we're being selfish, or worldly, when our minds are not thinking biblically, when our heart's desire don't align with the, the, the heart of God, the word of God, we can actually be an instrument that Satan uses to hinder God's work. Because the gates of hell is always strategizing, trying to hinder the work of God, the church of Jesus Christ. We have to think about this. Like, we have to think long and hard about this. I mean, think about that. Peter meant well. He thought he was saying and doing the right thing. He thought he was helping Jesus. But, but ultimately, in his heart, there was... Um, maybe a self-oriented attitude rather than a self-denial and dying for others attitude that Jesus had. His mind and heart was saying, you, have, you need self-preservation, you, to, to, you need to live. 
And that was not the mind of God. And because of that, he was used by Satan. He had no idea he was opposing the very core of what God's salvation plan was, but that's exactly what he was doing. And so we have to think about that, especially right now where our, in our society, it's a very divided time, right? Our society is very divided these days. The discussions that's causing that division in the world has also come into the church. And it's also even caused division in the church. And many Christians, just like Peter, who are thinking that they're doing the right thing by taking these strong positions on um, the issues that the world is also dealing with, social issues, are, are really taking strong positions. Many Christians take strong positions saying, this, this is how it should be. That this is how the church should be. This is how the church should be like and so on. And um, that's causing division a lot of times. And, um, and of course, the discussions and arguments that are, that are happening out in the world are often based on unbiblical thoughts, right? The, that's just uh, with the world's thoughts, eh? apart from God. world's thoughts, very unbiblical. And now, as those things are happening and as those things are, are coming into the church and many Christians are talking about those things, like for me, like this is how um, these principles work out for me personally. For me, like I'm tempted to point those things out. Oh, that's, that's an unbiblical thought. Like as Christians, let's, let's not think like that. I'm tempted to point those things out to our church. But at the same time, every time I'm tempted to talk about that, I, at the same time, I feel uneasy about it. So part of me feels like I should. Part of me feels uneasy about it because it's a lot easier to say, oh, that's wrong. It's a lot harder to say what's right. You know? And that's exactly the what's going on in today's uh, discussion about racism, even in the church. No one has the answers. The, the, the issues are complicated, very complicated. That's why there's so much disagreement and things like that. But at the same time, people are so strongly, uh, have a strong opinions and criticizing others who don't think like that. Pointing out what's wrong when we don't even have the answers ourselves. And that's why, you know, sometimes when I'm tempted to say even some things, Christine says to me, like, why do you want to talk about that? Saying what is wrong about some thoughts. Do you want to say that for yourself or for God or for the church? She asked me that question. Initially, I thought, what are you talking about? Of course, I'm trying to say it for the good of the church. I don't want our church to be swept away by, by the false teachings of this culture and so on. But as I thought about it some more, I realized it could be for myself in the sense that like, it could be a way to defend what we're doing in our church. Even though what we're doing in our church has a whole lot of room for improvement. So that's the thing. Like, when, when I or others are saying, oh, that's wrong. Church shouldn't be like this or whatever. Like, that's wrong. 
We're just pointing out what's wrong, but we're not really providing the answers ourselves. And what that means is when we have that attitude, we don't learn, we don't grow in the ways that we're lacking. And I think that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to cause division. So I think the best thing to do right now is to learn, listen, and learn. And I think that's the attitude that Christians need to have these days within the church. Instead of um, even criticizing uh, our society or criticizing other churches, take on a humble attitude to learn so that we're not like Peter, where we think we're doing the right thing, but we can actually be used by Satan in, in those ways. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, and let's have a humble attitude to grow and learn during this time. The vision of the church, the opposition to the church. And thirdly, lastly, the victory of the church. Again, verse 18 says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Satan will strategize, will come against the church of Jesus Christ from all different angles. But Jesus says, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Because it's his church. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. The almighty God who holds the universe in his hands says, I will do this. And that means it's a certainty. No matter what happens, the church of Jesus Christ will continue to stand, the church will move forward, and the church will prevail. Uh, now, with that assurance, I think there's a, a, a thought that goes with it, with that, with that promise of victory of the church. I think there's something that we need to also think about along with that, and that's in verse 24 where Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, right, he says he's going to the cross, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and the only thing he calls Christians to do is to follow him by doing the same. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He does not say, I will build my church, so I need people who are, who are smart to be able to strategize against the strategies of Satan so that we can advance the gospel. Nor does Jesus say, I will build my church, I'm looking for really good-looking people who will attract others through their attractiveness. There's nothing like that. He says, I will build my church, so if anyone wants to join, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's calling for people who are willing to suffer and die because for some reason, that's how the gospel moves forward. The way of salvation is through the cross. Jesus has set that pattern. There's no resurrection without the crucifixion. And now anyone who chooses to follow Jesus must follow that same pattern. It's as if Jesus is saying, I will build my church through the self-denial and sufferings of my people. Because that's the pattern of the cross. 
So earlier we said that church means to be called out, right? That's the definition, to be called out, a gathering people who are called out of sin, called out of darkness, assembled to worship God. Another way to look at it is that the church is a gathering of people who are called out, not only out of the world, but called out of themselves, right? Called out of self-love, called out of self-worship, self-glory, called out of those things to Christ worship, to living for Christ's glory. And that has to be the internal reality in a person's heart when a person enters the church of Jesus Christ. These days, church membership means, right? What is church membership? What does it mean to be a member? It means like, I'll do my part, right? When our church has a picnic, I'll bring dessert, right? Because I'm a member of that church. But according to Jesus, church membership means a willingness to suffer and die. And through such followers of Christ who are willing to carry their own cross, Jesus says, I will build my church. And through those people, as I build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail. Peter was a perfect example of that. He did many things wrong. He failed on many levels. But at the end of the day, he was willing to deny himself. Through much failures and so on, he was willing to deny himself to carry the cross and follow Christ. So this is a, a great encouragement to me. As I mentioned at the retreat, we should not have called it retreat, by, by the way. <laughs> because that's a weird word, weird word for what we did. We should have just called it like refocus or Something like that. Next pandemic will we'll change the name. But anyway, as I was mentioning in this weekend, this just, you know, the different things that we heard from Pastor Lewis and so on, it's just, it was an encouragement to me because like we're, we're in a time of great confusion. All the things that he mentioned Friday night that's happened in the year 2020 is a time of great confusion. A church under pandemic this is so unusual. And this is something like we're like wrestling with right now. How do we get our people to come back to church? People are doing all kinds of things, uh, but maybe reluctant to come back to church doors. Uh, and we're discussing, like, should we have church outside? SVC parking lot? Bring your own lawn chairs? Bring your own refreshments? set up a speaker out there and just we'll just have like outdoor like is that what we need to do there's a lot of confusion we don't have all the answers and it's not just a pandemic and we're just waiting for a vaccine but all these social issues going on in our culture so how do we navigate this and that's probably the majority of where you know thoughts are going these days like, we don't have all the answers. But this is the thing. This is the thing that we realize here. The church will move forward. With all that Satan is trying to do these days to derail the church, what we see in the promise of the scripture is that all of Satan's schemes, his plans will fail. 
what this means is that our children's generation will one day look back on the year 2020 and then they will say, yes, the church went through some tor- turmoil, some unusual times during that, those, those years, but they'll look back on it and say, look at what God has done. That means with all these things that are going on with the pandemic and social issues, with us right now in the present having no answers, somehow the church will end up on the other side looking brighter and even more beautiful as the bride of Jesus Christ is promised to be like. So I think that's a great encouragement for us. Let's be willing to be faithful to the calling that God has given us. Calling to be faithful people, willing to deny ourselves, to go through the cross, to be willing to suffer because in some way, God has chosen that to be the means through which he will use us and advance the gospel and build a church in our generation. Let's pray together. Let's pray on a couple of different levels. Let's pray on a personal level that we'd be uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Um, You know, I was thinking, yes, there are people in the church who come for the refreshments, right? come for the fellowship, and maybe in their hearts they don't have true saving faith. But in the end, uh, it doesn't really matter because like, uh, hearts will be exposed. Because Jesus said like sufferings will come and those who endure through the sufferings uh, will prove their faith sure. Um, and so... Even through this pandemic, I think uh, our faith will be refined and we will grow and uh, the church of Jesus Christ will somehow become stronger. And that's the assurance that we have. So let's just pray on a personal level that we would have uh, true faith that is willing to um, go through the, 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 the moments of despair and uh, confusion and uh, grow through that time for the sake of the glory of God people called out of self-love to loving Christ let's pray for that and then let's also pray for um, the church our church other churches to um, grow through this phase this stage um, to come out of it stronger better equipped and able to serve the community that's uh that's loss and confusion um, that there would be more love there'd be more reconciliation there'd be more heart transformation that takes place that that makes us um, better equipped to serve the world let's pray for those things before we finish our let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for the assurance that we receive from your word that even though there's a lot of turmoil around us even turmoil within our own hearts we thank you that your word is secure and we can trust in your word just like we heard last night and um, we thank you that that you are continually at work building up your church 
building up your people, advancing the gospel, and bringing people into your kingdom. And that nothing can hinder that redemption plan that you have worked in this world. Help us to continue to be a part of it as we get into your word and the secretness of our own room, the quietness of our own hearts, as we continue to seek to grow in intimacy with you, as we uh, continue to pray in our closets, whatever that we're doing to advance the gospel, we pray, Lord, that you would use that. Help us to continue to deny ourselves for the sake of following Jesus Christ. And we pray that even in unknown and mysterious ways that you would bring these things together to build the church of Jesus Christ. Be with us, even as we look forward to navigating difficult issues. And we pray for your guidance in that. And uh, may it be the church that offers us the solution to this world that by our love, oh love that is not possible to find anywhere in this world, by our love, people will know that we are your disciples. Be with us and strengthen your people through this time. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this unchanging covenant love of the Father God, the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you God's people both now and forever. Amen.